0: welcome to as we live a podcast aimed at helping you connect to the living God
1: hi I'm Lyle Martin I'm here with John Martin and Steve Stutzman and we are talking again more about his book there is much rubbish which can be pre-ordered now at straightpass.com if you order now you can pick up the extras that come with it there where you will get a free audiobook when that gets released and you will get um, an an opportunity to be added to a private Facebook page where Steve and Dorcas will come on and be doing some book studies about this book and also books that um, Dorcas has wrote in the past, which is Dear Daughter and um, Trust or Control. So, yeah, John, um, go ahead, and I know you're excited about it. Um, Yeah.
0: I am, Lyle. I'm very excited about it. I know for a long time as a board we were asking Steve to write a book and we put a lot of pressure on Steve over the years to to come out with a book. And now that it's actually happening, it's like, it, it's really, it's amazing. I'm really excited. Like you mentioned, the pre-sale is live now. And I'm really excited about people getting their orders in. And the end of the month, having those books ship out, I I really think people are going to connect with the story. I think that, uh, I think it's going to have a, a huge impact. And uh Yeah, I'd like to just have a conversation about the book and to just kind of, uh, Steve, dig into it, some of the thoughts behind it. Last week we had a kind of a discussion on how did you come to writing the book? How did you come up with the title? And I feel like this week I'd like to hear from you a little bit about the content. And there's a lot of story form in the book, and maybe you could just unpack some of that for us.
2: Yeah, I know. You're talking about the board putting pressure on me to write a book. You should see my family, because my daughters have been telling me now for about 10 years that if something happens to you and you were in a casket, we would stand there and beat on your body because you didn't write a book. So I guess we're done with that now. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's kind of uh, some of the things really, really mean a lot to me. I I'm curious though, John. I gave you a copy told you to read it, and I don't know how far you got through it, but what's some of your takeaway by now
0: yeah, good question steve i was uh I was reading it just two days ago, and um, there was there was something that really stuck out to me, and literally, I just put the book down and I'm still chewing on it and it was the idea of a foundation being in place but there but a bunch of trash being on top of the foundation and the idea of needing to clean the trash away before you can build on top of that. And that thought is something I'm I'm really thinking about because a lot of times in well, I feel like there's a lot of current realities that I want to be to be fixed. Like maybe I'm dealing with fear or anxiety or or I just want things to to be solved. I want to get over things. But That idea really has me thinking of what is the trash on top of the foundation? I can't build on top of what's true, what's foundational, if I have these things in the way. So that is, that's that's something I'm thinking about and processing right now.
2: Well, Jesus said, you know, that he is the foundation. Paul talks about Jesus Christ, the other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. One of those statements that Jesus made that I think we read over and don't understand. When he was headed out the last time toward the cross, he said this, The prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. And it seems to me like we don't understand a lot of times in our life that the point of attack belies a hole in the wall. Wherever there is a hole in the wall of our life, wherever the wall is broken down, will become a point of attack for the enemy. And so when the enemy is attacking a person over and over and over, they can't get done being angry, they can't get done being an alcoholic, whatever it is, There's there's a broken down wall. And the enemy is simply standing on the outside, shooting arrows through it. (laughs) And it's going to continue until the wall is built up again. And when the wall is built up, a person can come to a place like Jesus Christ, where they say, the prince of this world cometh, but hath nothing in me. Now, I don't know that I would claim to have arrived there, but that is sure what I am pressing toward to know Christ and to know that kind of freedom where the wall is built up and I'm not under that attack.
0: What are some examples of, of holes in the wall or like the wall being broken? I mean, you mentioned, was it anger? or
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that I would see as something that's very common is people who struggle extensively with immorality, for example, and they tore the wall down in their life by things that they did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And they have never gone back there and repented, sorted out the truth from the lies, got rid of the garbage, and built the wall back up again. And so they continue to struggle around and around in that cage. You know, you run around in a cage. And it's just, its, it's it seems to me like, I love snorkeling. I've done it in different places, but the the coral reefs are always a really big deal to me because you can be in a boat, you can look out at the water, and uh, all you see is water, you know? And to some people, it's like, where's my fishing pole? (laughs) But I am thinking of the idea of putting those glasses on and putting fins on, and there's that moment when your face hits the water. And an entire world opens up underneath. It's a world you can't see from the top. But as soon as your glasses hit the water, you know, there's a turtle paddling along there. And there's brightly colored fish and all these corals just radiating all these different colors. I can lay in that water and look at that stuff for hours. It's just so beautiful. There's a whole world down there that we're not seeing. And it feels to me a lot that way sometimes with Scripture that scripture is something that people while away their time on the surface of reading a story looking at something you know that jesus said whatever and staying on the surface of it and not understanding there's a whole world that opens up underneath and so some some of what's happening in the book is is an effort to try to help you understand some of that world that opens up underneath in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra.
0: I think there's a lot in there. Just reading your book, there there's so much that I didn't pick up in the Bible. Like you said, I'm, I'm just that surface reader. And there's there's so much more. I think the book really brings that out.
2: Well, I'm fascinated with history anyway. <laughs> and so I sit and watch some of this stuff in in the book. And this is just kind of one example. I don't think I even have anything about this in the book because it wasn't, necessarily part of where i was going but nebuchadnezzar daniel was over there in the land of babylon a captive from his own land over in babylon and his three friends and nebuchadnezzar builds this big image 90 feet high out in the desert and you don't build a 90 foot image overnight so this was a long process that it took them to build this thing they didn't have cranes like we do (laughs) And they built this huge image. And he ruled the land pretty much, as far as we can tell, all the way from northern Turkey to India and all the way from Pakistan to Egypt was under his control. Now, you can remember, there's no vehicles, no communication, and he's ruling that kind of land. So he's got it all divided up into little, in a sense, little kingdoms, and he's got guys in charge of each one. And he brings all those guys together, which, again, is not going to happen overnight. This is a major, major project. They all come together, and they have all this music ready, and everybody's supposed to fall down and worship the image. Well, you know the story. There's three guys there that refused to bow down. They end up getting tied up and thrown into the furnace. And uh, when they did that, he actually lost his best soldiers because he had his top soldiers which would have been totally respected by everyone that was there because they were the top soldiers, they threw these guys in the furnace and they died. This is happening in front of every ruler he has. So when the fourth man shows up in the fire and all this stuff happens (laughs) and the only thing that burns off of these people is the ropes and they come out of the fire, that had to leave an impact like none other on all these guys that are sitting there. Every ruler of every area was there. King Nebuchadnezzar dies, Belshazzar takes over. A number of years into Belshazzar's reign is where this hand shows up on the wall and is writing on the wall. And Daniel comes and tells him that that night, or, uh, that the, it says the kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, we don't know for sure who the Medes were. It looks to us like the Medes may possibly have been what we call today Kurds, but we don't know for sure. But the Persians, we know who they were. They're the Iranians, Iranians from, from Iran. The Persians came over that night, diverted the river that ran under the city, and walked in on the riverbed and took over the city. But they didn't create a whole bunch of disruption. They just took over the city, killed the king, and took over the palace. And then they went home. So the king that came in there and took over that thing, he left his son there to rule it. And his son's name was Darius. So the Bible will talk about King Darius. He's the one that put Daniel in the lion's den, all that. And his father goes home. His father had a, had another castle another palace um in a city in iran about 500 miles away <laughs> you stop think about these people walking this distance unbelievable anyway here's what's fascinating when when darius is there and he makes a law of the medes and persians about nobody uh asking anything of anyone except the king and because of that law he ended up taking daniel and putting him in the lion's den When you read the account, you can tell that Darius did not want to put Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't like it. He didn't sleep all night. And he came over there early in the morning and he said, Daniel, is your God, whom you serve, able to deliver you? Here's the thing. It is highly probable to the point of almost certain that Darius and his father were standing in front of the three Hebrew children when they were in the fiery furnace. Because they were leaders of Persia. So they would have been there that day, and they would have seen that scene. And so they would have been, he would have been gripped by that reality, and now he's taking one of these people and throwing them in a lion's den. And he goes to the lion's den and says, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? And when they pull Daniel up out of there, he immediately goes right back to the same edict that was made in front of that great big idol, that nobody's supposed to worship any God except for the God of Daniel. And what's even what what goes on then, it appears that it was his father, Darius's father, who was now kind of in charge of the whole place was the first one that wrote a thing and said, I want the children of Israel, I want the Jews to go back to their land and I want them to build an altar and I want them to sacrifice to their God for me and for my sons. So when you start putting all those pieces together and realizing what all was happening in relation to the way that God made himself great in the eyes of the people, it it the whole picture just kind of comes alive to me.
0: What are some current, like how does that apply to us currently?
2: Yeah, that part's actually not even in the book. That's just kind of some things that I ran across when I was, when I was studying for it. Um, the, the way that the book I think applies to our life today, I, I took a biblical character and tried to write a fictional story of his life as he walked through that. Mm-hmm. scenario uh, it the scripture talks about him it talks about his father it talks about his grandfather it talks about his great-grandfather so all of those people are incorporated into the story because their names are used repeatedly in Ezra and Nehemiah so I was trying to to write a story about how they felt and then I take that story and and try to flip it to what it means to us today Because many of us also can find ourselves serving a Babylon Mm. and needing to build an altar of worship and needing to go back to Jerusalem, back to the city of God, back to building our life as a city of the living God, as a place of worship. And uh, so that's kind of how I feel like that whole thing relates to us today, that it's kind of like out in the water. You put your head in the water and there's this whole world that opens up. Well, the story is a historical story. And it had a meaning to those people. but has a meaning to us too. And if you want to put your glasses on and plunge below the surface, the story will reach out and grab you and pull you in and begin to show you things about your life that perhaps you didn't even want to know. <laughs> but God wants you to know because God wants to establish his temple in your heart. You are the temple of the living God. Who does, who's this
0: book for? Like, what's the audience? Would you, who would you recommend it to?
2: I would say that from the perspective that I was writing, it was written for anyone who actually wants to know God and who wants to walk with God ends up feeling to me like too many people look at Christianity as a passport to heaven. I have my little passport thing. I'm ready to go to heaven. And we don't recognize all of the things that God actually wants from us here. And so it's trying to help people get past that mentality to understand what God wants from us here and how to move forward personally. So it would be anybody that... That knows Christ and that wants to know Him better. Lyle, what's your take on the whole thing?
1: Well, I didn't have a chance to read the book yet, but I am really looking forward to the audio book coming out because I'm oh yeah an audio it's easier book
2: to, easier to listen than to read, right? There yeah. You
1: go. So I'm I'm more into that. But I've really enjoyed listening to you talk about it as you were writing it and and just the different things. I mean, Nehemiah has always fascinated me how he was so dedicated at rebuilding the wall and and the whole battle that took place to it and his dedication to it. And uh, one thing I know we talked about one time that really just stuck out to me. I didn't realize that he wasn't even from that or wasn't even living in that area. And I just find that really fascinating that, um, and just tr- understanding that story a lot more. So I'm really excited to actually get my hands on it and to listen to it and, or read it if it takes too long for the audiobook to come out.
2: Yeah. And, um, he was actually in Shushan at some point in time, the the palace or the kingdom of Babylon moved from the city of Babel from Babylon about 300 miles to the city of what is today Susa, Iran or Shushan in scripture, Shushan the palace. So the story, for example, of Esther takes place in Shushan, the palace. It doesn't take place in Babylon it takes place in Shushan. And, uh, the same with the story of Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king, it says, was in Shushan. So that the the center of the kingdom had already moved over there. And it's a little bit difficult to follow some places um, I spent, because I like history, I spent hours and hours and hours poring over timelines and historical documents outside of Scripture, history, history outside of Scripture, um, trying to figure out who these kings were, how they overlapped, uh, one of the things that's so confusing about them is, well, for one thing, it seemed like they had a shortage of names, and they have like you know Cyrus one and Cyrus two, and Darius one and Darius two, and Xerxes one and Artaxerxes, and it's just like all these names that, anyhow. But the other thing is that sometimes there was more than one of them king at once. Like one of them would be ruling from Babylon, and one would be ruling from Persepolis. Or one's ruling in Babylon and one's in Shushan. And it's difficult to kind of tell who's who um, because it's, it's during that same time frame then that one of those kings took off with an army and went all the way over to what is today Lebanon and built a bunch of ships and sailed over to Greece and attacked the Grecians. Ended up losing the battle but leaving an army there and going back home again and then his son built another army and went all the way up through turkey around northern turkey and down into greece from that side so this is all happening in this same time frame or just just after it so like if if somebody's watched the movie uh the 300 where it talks about those three hundred Greeks that stopped that big army of of Persians, that's during this time frame. So when you start putting all that stuff together, it just is—it's really mind-boggling because then right after that you have um, the Great Well Alexander the Great coming out of that Greece thing and going over through there and saying, "We are going to teach these people to stay home." <laughs> And coming up against an army where he was outnumbered three to one and another time where he was outnumbered four to one and erasing him. That was the end of the Persian Empire. Like you don't find anything out after Alexander was through there. And then he ends up going all the way over to the border of India, turned around and coming back on his way home. He's he's thousands and thousands of kilometers away from his homeland Mm, with an army. Doing what? Anyway. He comes back to Babylon and dies of a stomachache. Never lost a battle in his life. Was 32 years old.
0: Where did you find most of this information? Like, you were were you just in the Middle East?
2: Yeah, we were in the Middle East. And, of course, it, it makes a lot of sense when you're there. But you know, most of the information, is just, it's just Google, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. history books, you know, different uh, scholarly papers that have been written about it, studies that have been done. Um, they used to pay... Their soldiers once a month with a little coin. And I have one of those coins at home. Like that little coin now is worth $500 or something like that little, little coin. Wow. Collector's item. Um, so the, it was just, it was really fascinating. I'm, I'm fascinated with history anyway. You can probably mm-hmm. tell that.
0: Yeah. Did you visit the site where where a lot of the story comes from? or Some of it, a- yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of the, the stuff would be right over there in Iraq and... Iran. I've not been in Iran yet. Was maybe try to do that sometime. But.
1: yeah, well, I'm really excited about it coming out. Um, you can pre-order it now at straightpaths. dot com, and um, it'll be shipping here on the twenty first of May, and you'll be able to get hold of it. And we'd love to hear your comments about it and what you think whenever you get hold of it
2: and read it. Make so sure yeah, to- pick up pick up one of those books. Uh, do the pre order thing. You get in on our private. Uh, facebook page we would love to see you there we'll be doing some facebook live things there and and diving into some of the history and some of the pieces around it and hopefully be able to have interactive discussions and plus if you pre-order it you get a free uh, copy of the audio so we're we're working on recording the audio now and you can pick that up and and listen to it if you'd rather do that than read like lyle well that's fine too but we're looking forward to this and, and really hoping that it it affects people's lives.
0: Thank you for listening to As We Live. To submit questions, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at As We Live Podcast.